When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Okay. I made a big boo-boo the other day. I posted an episode on Monday. So excited about it because it's an amazing freebie resource for you guys. I wanted to make it so easy. So I put the link to get it in the show description. So you could just scroll down and click it. And I'm not sure what happened. Well, okay, I know what happened. I forgot to put the little HTTPS colon whatever in front of the widow180.com. So the link did not work. And I didn't realize this until the end of the day after hundreds of people had listened to the episode. Epic tech fail on my part. I've told y'all before, tech is my weakness. I hate it. I'm terrible at it. It's a miracle that I do half the things that I do. But seriously, what is the HTTPS even for? Can someone explain that to me? I mean, what's its purpose? Why do we need it? What is the deal with the HTTPS? Anyway, apparently you do need it and it's really important. So the problem is corrected and I will put that link in the show notes today also. So please click on it because I did it right this time. Go and get that freebie. It's 275 interests, hobbies, and ways to make an impact in this world. Just click on the link and get that list. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is going to be an awesome interview because we have joining us today, the lovely Jen O'Brien. She is an award-winning author and speaker. Hi, Jen. Hi, <laughs> so Jen. glad that you're here. And this was a first for me since starting the podcast. So I have to tell the story that when I first contacted Jen, we were talking about how Jen lives in Arkansas and I live in Louisiana. And she told me how she was coming to visit her really good friend over Easter. And then she told me where her friend lives. And she literally lives three blocks away from me. So <laughs> I said, oh my God, we have got to get together while you're here. So we did. We got together. We met for some wine and I got to meet her awesome friend, Anne, and her other friends. And I told my daughter when I left the house, uh, that I was going to have a drink with a friend and I would be gone for like an hour or so. And like three and a half hours, later, <laughs> I finally came home. <laughs> we had so much fun. It was such a fun night. It was so great. I had a blast. So that was, was, it was a lot of fun. That was amazing. And your friend, Anne is awesome. And I can't believe she lives so close to me. That's just crazy. It's really great. Um, but I want to go ahead and we'll just get started with talking to you because we have a lot to talk about today. Um, first, just tell us, how did you meet Bob? I met Bob. Um, so I'm in Little Rock, as you said, and I had been down here what was supposed to be temporarily um, because my make a living job has been to help large physician organizations kind of get fixed. And uh, so I do this interim CEOing thing for, for large physician practices. And I was down in Little Rock from Chicago because at that point I was living in Chicago. Um, 
just just doing this interim CEO position for a large orthopedic surgery practice. And in fact, I went home almost every other weekend because because it's a lonely job and um, I didn't know anybody else down here. But one weekend I decided to stay over the weekend and, and the, a woman that I met in the neighborhood where I rented my apartment had said, you know, do you want to go to this art opening with me on Saturday night? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't have anything else to do. And, um, and so I went to this lovely gallery here in Little Rock and, um, and there was this, this guy and I, we started talking and we talked and talked and talked. He was a physician. Um, he had been a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and then had had to retrain in hospice and palliative care. Well, he had, to, he had to stop operating because of a neck injury. And he chose to, to retrain in hospice and palliative care. Well, that certainly intrigued me because I had by this time lost my only sibling um, in an accident and, um, and my mother had died of cancer and some other relatives. So, so I knew how important hospice and palliative care was to families. And so it was a head turner, you know, and, and, and anybody who, who was a surgeon for as long as he was, and then decide, you know, he really could have retired. He could have done a lot of things and he chose to retrain in this incredibly meaningful interdisciplinary, you know, um, team-based specialty. And, um, and he was loving it and just the, all of those things. Plus he was just so cute and he had a great sense of humor. <laughs> right. And so we talked and talked and talked and plus uh, he was yeah, cute. <laughs> yeah. Plus he was super cute. Um, Apparently so, yeah, super smart. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, super smart, super uh. cute. Good sense of humor. That's that's the trifecta for me. Good combination. <laughs> so, what year did you get married? We got married in two thousand and twelve. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. We we started we we started in two, started going together in two thousand and eleven, and and okay. pretty much fell in love right away. Um. So, so if we're if we're if we're making the most of the Gregorian calendar, I want to throw that extra year in there. Yeah. <laughs> So Bob, you said he found a lump on his neck um, and then he went to go and have that checked out. What, what year was that? Um, well, I suppose technically he found it in late 2014, um, as is typical in medicine, in, you know, physician world. He, he had a friend kind of palpate it and he thought, oh, it's not that big of a deal, um, and the friend didn't think it was a big deal. And, and then it, and then it didn't go away. And, and a second one sort of popped up. And yeah. um, by this time we were in, we were into early 2015. And so, so the actual diagnosis um, came in early 2015. Early 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had like a CT scan done or something. And Okay. Yeah. And a a needle biopsy was, was what finally uh, caused us to realize that it was, um, that it was a, you know, actually upon the, initially they called us, the doctor called us that night after, after the biopsy had gone to pathology and said, Bob, we don't know what the hell this is, but it is bad news. And yeah, it was, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. What type of cancer was it? So I think ultimately it was a metastatic from his left kidney. It was some sort of a clear cell carcinoma. Um, And by the time we discovered it, it was already metastatic, um, obviously up through his neck, but, uh, and that was soft tissue, but also in his thoracic spine. Um, So it it was pretty advanced. Yeah. Yeah. So you said, like you said, he was a hospice doctor yes. and that always opens up a lot of doors to conversations about mm-hmm. end of life. And so that was not, um, a subject that, you know, you thought you would have to deal with personally. Well, no, no, no. We always knew we would have to deal with I it mean, personally. but so yeah. soon, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Not, not quite so soon. I think, I think that's one of the things about palliative care is that it, it truly recognizes that at the end of life comes death. And, 
And Bob and I had had some really great conversations about what we wanted and didn't want in terms of, you know, intervention toward the end of life and so forth. But it was mostly in the abstract. Right. You know, we, neither one of us was ill at the time. And, and that's, a, that's a really wonderful thing because when it did happen, when, when he did get, become ill, we were able to sort of have that as a touchstone. Um, and, and that was really nice. So yeah, in general, in general, I highly recommend people figure out ways to talk about end of life, I know. Um, even when everybody is healthy. Um, it's really one of the more intimate thing conversations you can have. I know. And you told me, you said that was, is it four out of five deaths are from an illness? Is that yeah, more than likely we're going to die like a sudden, illness. yeah, not right. a sudden thing, not, not a heart, a heart attack, attack, not, not a, anything like yeah. that. So it's like, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we prepare better? We it's just don't. Crazy. It's crazy. And, and then you said like so many people still don't get a will. They still don't have these important conversations and do those next important steps. And that probate takes 5% automatically. Well, that's in Arkansas. In Arkansas, probate automatically takes 5% of the value of the state, of the estate. Um, And that's before you've hired an attorney to help you navigate probate. probate. So, so, So that's, I mean, seriously, by not having a will, which... I mean, nobody's getting out of here alive, okay? We're, we all need this. By not having a will, you are just basically setting a match to at least 5% of the value of your estate, um, n- probably a lot more because, because you're going to pay a lawyer to go represent you. You're going to have a lot of paperwork to do. You're going to pay for all that. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time um, doing it that, you know, and it's going to be very emotional. Like uh, one of the reasons I talk I, a lot about this to people now is because so Bob, because Bob was a palliative care physician, because we had had many conversations about end of life when he did get sick and when it was very clear that there was no silver bullet type treatment. Because in cancer these days, there are some targeted therapies that, right, like seriously, make even advanced cancer go away. So once we realized that the best we were going to get was a little more time together, and we did get that, um, once we realized that, we spent a lot of time and energy preparing for his death and my survivorship. We sold our big old house that I would have had, you know, a lot of trouble um, sorting out and, and selling by myself. We moved to a beautiful condominium that I absolutely love. We got some time here together. We um, put the property in my name. We put the automobiles in my name. We, we did, I mean, as about a, th- as about a thorough um, preparation as we possibly could so that when he did die, I just went through certain motions. I notified certain people. I, you know, set certain things in motion and all of that, there was no probate. There was no, there was, yeah. there was none of that. It just very smoothly transitioned to me. You know, Jen, it made it no less sad. I was still devastated the instant he took that last breath. I I wanted him back immediately. I didn't want any of the suffering back, but I wanted him back. I, I, I wanted, I was devastated, but I was also, um, my life was comforted and easier for the fact that we had done all of this extensive uh, preparation. And, um, and so I, I really, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it, it's, it's just, uh, I've been through all the work when you lose someone suddenly, and it's a lot of work. Um, it wasn't someone quite as close to me, but it's, a, but it's a lot of work still. So I've been, you know, the two things that we, that we didn't do um, were one was, I thought I knew all the password formulas. 
Um, and yeah, I didn't. And, yeah. and of course, grief brain settled in and, and I was then, then I was panicked and I was sort of beating myself up. How could I have not have written these down? How, you know, all that <laughs> crap that you do to yourself. Yeah. Um, and the second thing that I didn't do that I should have was put the utilities in my name. Um, uh. there, I, I was just made a post, uh, the other day ask, you know, that was a, one of those dear banks and utilities, you know, can you please train your staff in how, you know, to how, how to handle yes. a deceased, um, uh, account and in an efficient and compassionate, accurate way, because I mean, spent and the, and the reaction to this post was unbelievable. It was shared. <laughs> it was like all these people telling horror stories about what had happened, yeah. trying, you know, naming, um, naming the utilities. We did get one utility. It was, it's in great Britain, but we still got them to respond. They, you know, I had said something in the post about, Hey, you know, maybe we should name them and, and get, see if we can get some attention on this. Because yes. here's another one, right? Happens to everyone. I know. Every single, right? Every this single is not an uncommon thing account, that we're talking right? about. Right. Every <laughs> single cable account is going to end someday with the death of the account holder. So here's an idea. Yeah. Get it right. And it's so much more painful, right? When you're saying, when you have to say to, to AT&T say. on the telephone for the eighth time, yeah. my husband died. <laughs> I mean, like... It's, it's, it's so awful. funny that you're talking about this. My experience with that was with our cell phones, we had Sprint. And when I called Sprint to cancel his, the person on the other line said, um, the account holder, he, Brent has to be the one to call to cancel. And I said, did you hear what I just said? I'm like, he has passed away. He cannot call himself and cancel. And I swear they were back and forth. Like, I'm sorry, ma'am. The account holder has to be the one to call and cancel like, it. Lady, and I was if like, you, if you do not want to call. Are you right kidding now because, me right now? Yeah, like, right. why are you making me say this over and over again? Like that was torture. That was torture. I mean, this is 10 years later. And I remember that conversation because of having to say it over and over again. And that person, not that they were being ugly. They just had no idea like what to right. do. Right. <laughs> no one had like, how, and how is that? How is that even possible? I don't how know. How is that possible? They don't know what to do. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. Uh, what you told me, um, like the words that you used, you said the preparation didn't take away the pain, but it does take away the burden of the paperwork. And that yeah. was huge because that is exactly what it is. All of that paperwork is such a burden. All of those phone calls that we have to make, it's such a burden. And it's a lot of mental anxiety that we are not, you know, ready to handle. But well, and I, would, I would also submit, Jen, that, that some of it keeps us from getting to the real grieving. I mean, yeah. it's busy work. It's busy work. And yes, it's upsetting. Um, but I would submit that, that the pre-work that we did allowed me to just lean in and love him and mourn him and miss him. Um, because I wasn't just bewildered by mm. what do I do next? Um, and, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I recommend it highly. And I, like I said, I recommend it, um, Basically, I recommend if you're 18 or older that you have some conversations and you document some stuff about, you know, what you want at the end of your life, because, um, you know, and you can come back and revisit it and you can change your mind. That's the yeah. other thing. Everybody thinks, oh, if I do advanced directives, they're set forever. No, no, no. You, you can change your mind. You can have conversations, you know, sometimes when you, you make an initial advanced directive, um, you know, it is in the abstract and it's, and then maybe it's decades later, somebody gets sick and, and, and the, and someone, uh, you know, a, a, an adult child is about to be married or a grandbaby is about to be born. And you say, you know what, 
No, I don't want to just be kept comfortable. I want you to do everything because I want to try to stay alive for mm. this major event. And it's a, yeah. it's a living, breathing process. It's not, it's not the Magna Carta. It can be changed. Right. So there's something really important that I want to talk to you about yes. because I brought this up when we had our first conversation that I talked to so many widows who are the sole caregiver for their ill husband. And they tell me that their role, that they feel that their role during that time is a cheerleader. And that they want to stay positive and they want to be the one that keeps the hope alive. And that if they start having these conversations and start talking about death and start talking about dying and introducing that, it's like they're giving up or they're, they're giving up the fight and they're giving in. Uh, and so they just try to avoid those conversations altogether because they want to be the positive, happy one. And yet they're the ones that are left with all of the burden afterward if they don't talk about it. So what can you tell people that are in that situation, uh, how they can feel a different, how, how they can maybe shift their mindset about that feeling of they have to be the cheerleader or they can't have that conversation. Okay. So one of the things just to back up, one of the things that we didn't talk about was the fact that I kept an art journal while Bob was sick and I journaled about a lot of these things. I kept it just more as a self-care thing, but about a year and a half after he died, I showed it to someone and they said, wow, you need to have this published as a book because it's really helpful because it does address exactly what you're getting at that delicate balance between between hope and prepare. And so I bring the book up because in the book twice, two of my journal pages that I dedicated to this, uh, that were dedicated to exactly what you're describing. And that is both of them say, we hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And what's interesting about this advice is that it was, I learned about this long before, years before I met Bob, I mentioned to you, I've always been in healthcare. Years ago, I worked with a, with a sub uh, oncologist in Chicago, and he used to say that to his patients and their family caregiver at every visit. Okay. We hope for the best and we prepare for the worst. And what I tease out in that as I was going through it was a couple of things. One, the best and the worst changes over time. When we first got the diagnosis, the best was one of those targeted therapies that was just going to kill off this cancer and we were going to get a lot more time together, right? Um, And the worst was him dying. And as that targeted therapy was very clear that wasn't available to us, then the best becomes quality time without pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And um, the worst becomes the pain and suffering. And so redefining what the best is and what the worst is coming back to that phrase, we hope for the best and we prepare for the worst is another way. It's such simple language. It's another way that if we establish that as a, as an ongoing goal together early on, um, then, then we can touch base about it. And we can notice that on a day like this, this happened to us, you know, on a day when Bob was having a particularly good day, he had been to work, he'd had a great day. He was, you know, feeling really good. That was not the day, you know, to bring up, wow, we really need to get those other documents signed, you know, right. That was a day to let that just happen and be on a day, you know, and, and to just time things. The other thing I'm going to add to this, um, Jen, that I think is super important. And I don't know that this, I ever really documented this in my journal, but I know part of what I did was listen. Um, so there were times when there, I guarantee you, I mean, okay, let me, let me back up. Cause I shouldn't guarantee anybody anything. But even there are a, there are a small percentage of people with cancer who refuse to talk about anything mm-hmm. regarding end of life. I think that's a very small percentage. Um, the truth is, if you listen 
and you probe with open-ended questions, the topic is there, right? He or she will say something like, you know, someday I want you to go ahead and renovate that bathroom. And it will be, whatever, I I have, I want to renovate my master bathroom. (laughs) I kind of have that on the brain right now. Um, Bob never actually said that to me. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, or someday I want to, or sometimes, you know, they'll bring up, I mean, Bob said to me more than once, you know, encouraged me to date, you know, to date and get into another relationship someday. Um, um, And those things, you'll hear them. You'll file them away as mm. part of, right? This is what he's telling me without necessarily making a big deal in the moment about, about it. Um, as a caregiver, y- your role changes. So I think my, my, I, I change so much from being this sort of independent, you know, matter of fact, let's just talk about it kind of person or don't mess with me kind of person to, to, um, a much more, um, con- conscientious of, of how, how I was helping him or not helping him in my reactions to things. We had a very, a big argument fairly soon after his diagnosis and he, you know, he said, Jennifer, I'm going to get you some literature on cancer fatigue, to which I said, Bob, I'm not one of your effing fellows. And of course, that blew up. And we um, went into our separate corners and were stewing in our own. And I was, I wondered, like, how did that happen? How did I let myself get into that so quickly and so easily? And the epiphany that I had, and this is in the journal, is, I wrote one day after I processed all that, I said, you know, we're going through two different processes. He is dying. I am surviving and they're intertwined, but they're different. We are headed two different places. And I wanted to make it the absolute best for him in terms of him having the end of uh, end of life. I wanted that to be whatever he wanted it to be. It wasn't necessarily how I would have wanted it done for me, but we weren't talking about the end of my life. We were doing the end of his life. Um, On the other hand, we, you know, once I sort of had that realization and we had a couple conversations about, I mean, I love you like crazy and I don't, you know, I don't want to live without you, but this, 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 this disease progression is making it seem like it might be headed that way. And that's kind of how I would, you know, I would frame it initially and then bring in, you know, I heard this great podcast and this woman said, we need to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And we need to, (laughs) we need to touch base about hoping and preparing periodically. And so I'd like to do that with you. Um, Because the other thing I will add is that some of my, some of my greatest love and appreciation some of the greatest intimacy that Bob and I shared, meaning closeness, just really closeness, was in preparing for the end of his life and, and preparing for the continuation of mine. And, um, you know, there are a few more loving gifts you can give each other. I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. Yeah. It makes it, I guess, a little less scary when you can be so open about it with each other. You know, if you're just 
keeping those feelings that you have inside because you're too scared to talk about it. Um, it just, it makes it less scary. I I would think in that situation, yeah. you know, that's a, yeah, you that's know, a the very whole basic name- word <laughs> to use, but yeah. yeah. Name it and claim it. I mean, it, it is scary, but it's a lot scarier when you can't, when you can't even utter the words. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, okay. So you brought up the art journal mm-hmm. and you had started that when, when Bob was sick and you said you also started documenting Bob's wisdom and like his teachings on end mm-hmm. of life and things also in this journal and so this book just started to evolve into what it became. Um, but it's a really cool, can you just kind of explain a little bit more about, you know, what it looks like? I mean, I'll sure. show some pictures, but okay. yeah, since we're, we're on the podcast and people can't see it, but it is, you guys, it is a really cool book. And I, I feel silly saying that because it's a grief book. But can I say that it's a (laughs) really cool book? Totally. It's just a very unique um, collection. She's got these uh, collage pictures that she put in there. And Jen, I'll let you explain that a little bit better because I'm not doing a great job. But this is just her expression of art and what she was going through and bringing out this creativity in her to deal with and to process what she was going through in the form of this book. So I love it. I love it. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you were doing with the pictures and stuff? Sure. Sure. I I would love to tell you about it. Um, I, um, I am a collage, a self-taught collage artist. And, and interestingly enough, I started really in earnest in analog collage on a, when I was on a trip where I took my mother's ashes after she died to my brother's grave in Northern New Mexico and went, went to an art journaling workshop that was all about cutting and pasting and gluing. And, you know, cause I'm not, I can't draw or paint, so it can't be any of that, but I can cut stuff out and, you know, I'm pretty good at composition, you know, how things look together and that sort of thing. Well, you know, sometimes that's the basis of the whole art as well. It just looks cool together. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And so, um, So I'd been doing that for a number of years. um, And when Bob got diagnosed, right about the same time, I decided I would teach myself how to do it digitally. Mm -hmm. So um, I started in in Adobe Photoshop and I started, it's kind of similar to analog collage, except you do it all in a computer and you cut stuff out and you layer it and um, there's no glue. Um, But anyway, um, uh, and so I... So I, I would, so there's one page and we can certainly put this up on your site or show notes mm-hmm. or whatever. There's a, there, there's a thing that Bob would tell patients. He would tell patients you're into patients and their families. He would say, you're into precious time. And, you know, at first when he would describe this precious time, like he'd say it just like that, where the emphasis was on the word precious. And I would always think he was, well, cause he was from Texas that maybe he was saying it like. You know, like Southerners say umbrella or insurance. Right. <laughs> I was the devil Yankee. What do I know? So I, so I, so I thought that's what it was, but that was not what it was. It was him saying, no, 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 this is a type of time. This is, this is when death is likely when death is imminent. And so you, you say what you need to say and you don't say what you will later regret. Bob used to say, um, I've seen death thousands of times. The patient is going to be fine. It's the family I worry about because the, inevitably there are people who say things like, I I thought we had more time. I I should have said this to him. I should have not said this to him. And so Bob used to help families understand what they were facing by saying, you're in the precious time. This is, uh, this is it. We're not going to get a do-over on this, right? And I mean, it was so valuable because so many physicians, so many healthcare professionals will not even, will not even acknowledge that this is how life ends. It ends with death. And he had this way of saying it in a, in a way that everyone understands what yes. he meant. 
but he but he didn't he didn't say it in a way that made people terribly upset or or angry with him. Um, and so anyway, one of the first pages in the journal that I put together is a is a it's a collage of all these different clock parts and a and a big kind of old fashioned alarm clock. And then on top of it, it, which is meant to symbolize time and then sort of layered on top of it is a picture that is actually my, <laughs> my grandmother from when she was um, a little girl. And so she looks really precious. And so, so it was, you know, a way to, to convey precious time. And then I wrote, write my note, my journal note on that, which yeah. is, you know, he tells patients it's precious time and that this is what it means. And now it's us and now it's yeah. our precious time. And I'm going to have to go on and live with how I handled our precious time. And, and so, yeah, that was a, um, so the book, and again, I never initially, when I started these journal pages, like I said, I was teaching myself digital collage. I was just trying to get my own thoughts and feelings, you know, managed it was basically self-care. I never intended it to be a book, but I did print it out and I did share it with a friend who had gotten a really serious, uh, very advanced cancer diagnosis. Ugh. He flipped through it and said, Ooh, wow, you need to show this to my wife. And, um, she flipped through it and said, oh my goodness, you know, she had never been any through anything like that. So she felt like she got some advanced kind of, um, things to look out for. Yeah. Right. And then, and then subsequently when I was doing one of those CEO jobs, I, I showed it to a doctor and he was the one who said, okay, you got to get this published. So it's eight by 10 it's a hardback. It's only about 85 pages. It is premium color. Um, it, and this is important, Jen, because when you're going through caregiving for someone you love, you need quite literally and figuratively, you need something to hold on to. Yeah. And that's why this book will never be an ebook. It'll probably never even be a paperback because it is substantial. It feels good under your fingertips. It's got it's a beautiful. really neat, um, the, the cover has a, has a, a really nice texture to it. And, um, and you can flip through it a couple, look at a couple pages and get something out of that, or you can read it start to finish. I, I have several people who have told me they have it on their coffee table. I mean, it's pretty. No, no. Um, That's I, what and I'm saying. I said, it was, I, uh, is it okay to say that it's a cool grief book? Or whatever? It's, totally it is a, cool. it's a coffee table book. It really is. But the other thing is that it's also precious too. It's precious because you got to put so much of Bob in that book. That's exactly right. And his wisdom, like you said, so you can pass that on to everyone and it's never going to go away. Yes. That is just so yeah. magical in itself. And it is a coffee table book. It is. <laughs> it is. It really is. And that's, I don't, I don't mind you saying that it's a cool book. It's really, it's probably about two thirds, um, uh, about caregiving for someone, you know, from the perspective of my, me as a caregiver. And then about a third of it was me grieving after his death. So it's not entirely, I mean, it's definitely grief and loss. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a coffee. And I, and I, the other thing is, yes, it has a lot of Bob's wisdom, which I love being able to carry that on. I, I, you know, he spread his wisdom, one family at a time, I've been able to do it to a wider, you know, one family at a time here in central Arkansas, I've been able to do it to a wider audience, um, through, through both, uh, people buying the book. And then of course, conversations like this, where they don't have to buy the book, they can, you know, although I do think it's worth it, but anyway, um, I digress. Um, but it's also got, some of my wisdom in it. Yeah. And, and that's something I want to bring out, especially to those of your listeners 
who are already widows. There is such a thing as widow wisdom. Um, we know stuff that other people don't know because we've been through it, whether, you know, whether it was a sudden loss or following a long illness or following a short illness. We have experience and wisdom that most people don't have. And that's again, back to this notion of, we know that at the end of life comes death, that there are no do-overs in end of life and that changed forever, the loved ones you know, remain and remember. These are the events that affect us for the rest of our lives, the birth of our babies and our grandbabies and the death of our loved ones. We carry them with us. So why not, like we were saying at the beginning, why not put a little bit more effort into having that death happen in a peaceful, comfortable, dignified way to the degree that it can, you know, some can't, but, but most could, if we just, if we just put a little conversation and thought into it, have the scary conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us. About, so the book won some awards. Tell us about the awards. That's the other crazy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the book won has won four <laughs> awards. Um, uh, it won a international impact award for, um, for the design, for the fact that it's the art on the inside. It won a, um, an indie uh, um, next generation indie book award for um, relationship. Um, it won an IPI, which is an independent publishers award for um, a book as a gift or oh. a journal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and then the sort of the biggie, the most prestigious award it won was a Nautilus um, in the category of death and dying, grief and loss. And um, yeah, it's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I only ah. entered it in four four competitions and it won in all four of them. So, oh and it God. won for different stuff. That's yeah. the crazy thing, right? Like, yeah. I know. So, so it is, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts that my little silly little art journal that I really just started to kind of give me peace of mind, you know, turned into an award-winning book, but it also turned in more importantly, it's helping people. It is. That's, it's helping people. Yeah. It's helping so many people and it is changing people's lives. And when I talked to you the other day, you were like, it's, I found my purpose. And this is what, like, I, this is just like, it, it lights me up. It fires me up. I love talking about this stuff because here you're taking your experience and you are changing so many lives because of it. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. I got a, a really lovely text or Facebook message from someone who had given the book to um, her niece, whose husband had been diagnosed with a certain type of cancer, and she'd been reticent to give her the book, which people mm. are because the book, the title is the hospice doctor's widow and journal, you know, spoiler alert, he died, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> what, you know, people are kind of like, well, I'm, I'll be the one telling her like, no, you won't be the one telling her you'll be the one helping her. And the worst case to me, the worst thing to hear from that I would think would be far worse than, than, you know, feeling like you were the one who shed the light on the terminal notion at terminal aspect of the diagnosis was that if they, if, if you held out on them, right. If you knew this book was around and you didn't give it. So I usually recommend that people wrap it or put a ribbon around it and say, you know, take a look at this when you have a minute to yourself. It's one woman's story. That's yeah. it. It doesn't have to be your story, but it's one woman's story who went through it, who had some insights that most people don't have. You know, the fact that Bob was a hospice and palliative care physician meant that the way that he looked at treatments, you know, when he was faced with a yet another treatment, he evaluated that very differently than you and I would because, because so I translated what I watched him do with five different cancer treatments, his process, and I put it in a single list called treatment decisions. And it's in like normal people language, like yours and mine. And yeah. um, well, maybe not yours because you're a doctor, but you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, you, you know, some of us don't have all that, but anyway, 
um, um, but anyway, yeah, he, uh, he, and so, so she had given the book to her niece, her, her niece's husband has just recently been put on a, a hospice status. And she wrote me a really lovely message thanking me for encouraging her to give him the book, her the book and said that, you know, when the, when her sister sends out family texts, she frequently quotes the book. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh so my awesome. God. That's amazing. That yeah, has yeah. to feel incredible. Yeah. yeah. This, this one woman, if I may tell one more story, yeah. this one woman who's a nurse in, in the ICU, uh, in an ICU, um, they had a patient who was dying and, you know, as a nurse, she could sort of see what was happening. And, um, but the doctor did not want to call the family. He didn't want to talk about death and he just was like, whatever, you know, whatever it happens, it happens. And she, after having read the book, she said to him, this is their precious time. And you need to tell them that it's precious time so that they can come over here and be with this, their, you know, person, their mom, their sister or whatever, before she dies, you cannot deprive them of their precious time. And he did it. He called (sighs) them up and they got over there in time to be with their loved one before she died. And, you know, that's that we have to be brave. We have to be brave and share these stories so that, so that other folks, um, Oh, thank goodness for her for st- standing up and saying that, you know? Yeah, that was, that was brave too. Yeah. That's huge. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Jen, now you are doing speaking gigs and you did Camp Widow just last month. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. What was the name of your lecture and what did you talk about? Yeah. So, so, um, first of all, it was my first ever camp widow. I was very nervous about going because, um, I I was afraid of how much, you know, emotion it would bring up. I I know that it's okay to be emotional, but I was not raised in that environment. And so I I still default to, you know, the not don't cry in public kind of thing. Um, whether I want to or not. So I was really nervous about going, um, but I can highly recommend it. I mean, seriously, I cannot say enough good things about Camp Widow, um, about Michelle Hernandez. It was and her entire team. Um, My presentation was called um, Memories, Messages, and Their Artistic Remixes. And so we... um, we talked about the memories we have of our person. Um, we talked about messages and, and on messages, I tried very, you know, I was very clear met by messages. I mean, them, our person who has died, making him or herself known in our current lives. Um, yeah. uh, and, and I was very clear as we started the section on messages, you know, that if you're not believing them, that's fine. Just go, just go back to your memories part. Like, but, but for, I believe in them. And for those who do, we're going to talk a few minutes about messages. Of course, I will just tell you that the lights in the meeting room went out when I said that we're going to talk about messages, boom, lights go down and they didn't just go off. They went, they dimmed all the way down. And we oh. all just looked at each other and like, oh, what? That's our people, that's our <laughs> messages. It was so funny. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so and, then, and then I shared with them some of the ways that that we could do that I have done and that we can and other people have done artistic representations of those memories and those messages, everything from, you know, Bob used to make the most amazing omelet and at some, and I love that omelet. Oh my God. We, it was so good. <laughs> and yeah. And, um, and I, I braved it and tried it and made a beautiful, delicious omelet. And that was an example, you know, I mean, obviously I've done all my collaging and so forth. I've done some really interesting, but I also want, you know, I, I want everybody to understand that the, those are all creative um, endeavors and yeah. ways that we, that we, and then, 
yeah. So anyway, I, I, I can't, I cannot recommend Camp Widow enough. Um, I cannot recommend gathering with other widows um, enough. Uh, I do love how Camp Widow was very careful to, it was so inclusive. You know, she said, she said, I don't care if you, you know, were engaged, but not yet married. Mm. I don't care if you're LGBTQ. I don't care. You know, she said, but if the person that you had planned to spend the rest of your life with died, then you belong here. And I was, I mean, it was so beautiful. Um, it was, and there were a couple points where people brought up, um, overtly, I mean, overtly religious stuff. And the speakers were always really careful to say that's not unwelcome here, but that's not a given, right? Because not everybody, um, not everybody, you know, is Christian, not everybody, you know what I mean? And so yeah, Camp Widow, for those that don't know about it, it's not, it's not a religious gathering. Yeah. It's a widow gathering. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just widow gathering. And lots of different lectures and lots of advice and just connecting with other widows, which is awesome. I really hope I can go this year. I really hope so. Cause I missed last month and that would have been awesome to be there, but hopefully I can get to the next one. Um, but you did say, I want to go back because you did say that you had, um, in your lecture, it was about, uh, messages. What are some of the messages that you have gotten from Bob? So I've gotten, I get messages from Bob all the time, all the time. Um, and one of them, let's see, let's see, the, there's, there's some really good stories. One of them was on the fifth anniversary of his death, which I found really difficult, um, which was earlier this year. And I had taken, I was getting ready for the cleaning lady to come. And so I'd taken some stuff down to the garbage and so forth. And I came back to my floor off the, I stepped off the elevator and sitting right in front of my door was a dog that I had ne- like a dog. I, I mean, this building allows dogs and, um, but I'd never seen this dog before. And there was, I'm like looking around the hall. There's no other, there's no person. Yeah. And this dog comes straight up to me and just loves on me. And like, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not hugely a pet person. My only pet is a plush toy dog, um, <laughs> which if you get sign up for my newsletter, you can get talk about yeah. of Fido. But anyway, <laughs> this dog just came up to me and just would like, just loving on me. And I, I was like, this is Bob. There's no question in my mind that Bob, you know, it, uh, it turned out just a few little bit later. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure this all happened in a matter of 30 seconds, but it felt like, right. How often yeah. you ride the elevator back up. I mean, I was gone for two minutes at the most. Yeah. Come back up the elevator to the 14th floor. And there's this, like, it was like a black lab sitting right there. And for like, not, wow. a, not an insignificant dog too. <laughs> and, um, and sure enough, there had been this guy had moved into one of the units on my floor and he stepped out and there was his dog. And, you know, but yeah, it was one of my favorites because then when he came out and he called to the dog, she wouldn't leave me. I know, right? She wouldn't oh. leave me. And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. That was totally Bob. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Yep. yep. There's those. Wasn't there one with the, a coffee thing? What was the yes, one with the coffee? Yes. Um, so Bob, you may always made the coffee and we used to ha- <laughs> use a brand called um, Intelligentsia. And yeah. I have this like sign on my, in my kitchen. It's a tin sign that says Intelligentsia on it. And Bob knocks it off the wall periodically. <laughs> and it sort of clangs on to the, to the countertop. And I have this friend, this pen pal, um, a guy that I've, it's a long story, but he's a lovely guy that I've had over for dinner a few times. And um, he's a writer and he writes um, a lot. He's a, like a really well-known writer, a real writer, not like me, oh, but, anyway, um, but, but he, <laughs> he writes a lot about ghosts. He writes all fiction, almost all fiction. 
and really? he writes a lot about ghosts and he talks in his he's you know I've listened to a few of his interviews and he he's talked about the fact that he's never despite the fact that he writes about ghosts he has never himself had a, an encounter with a ghost okay and so yeah okay so whatever he and he and I are pretty close we've been writing to each other throughout the pandemic and having dinner together every couple of weeks or so and and so um, so we're sitting there one night having dinner and this weird thing happened. And then all of a sudden the intelligentsia sign falls <gasps> off the wall and, and he, and he gets, it makes a loud noise when it happens and he gets all startled and, and he looks up and I said, Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I said, oh, don't worry. That's just Bob. <laughs> and he said, well, well, what's he saying? And I was like, well, he's just saying hi and he thinks you're really nice. And he tells me he loves me. This is, you know, this is how it goes. <laughs> and then at the same time, this thing about this poem came up, this line from this poem came up and, and anyway, this whole thing was a, a like a, a moment of, of weirdness. And I looked at him, Kevin, and I said, you know what just happened, don't you? And he was like, what? And I said, you had your first ghost encounter. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I guess I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really funny. That is funny. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was funny because I was like, oh, it's just Bob. Right. And he, and he was just like, it didn't, it didn't even occur to me to like, seriously, that was coming out of my mouth before I even thought about it. You know, like I was just like, Oh, that's just Bob. You know, don't even, don't even worry about don't it. Don't even and, worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Oh, I love that. That is funny. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I don't want to keep you here all day, but let's let everyone know the name of the book again and where we can find it and then where we can find you and all of the places on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere. The name of the book is the hospice doctor's widow, a journal, and you can purchase it anywhere. I mean, meaning um, Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, or you could even indie book um, has will tell you where locally you can buy it. You can always go into your independent bookstore and say, I want you to order me a copy of this book. Okay. Um, because that's a fun thing to do to, uh, <laughs> to support our independent bookstores. Um, my website is hospicedoctorswidow.com. Okay. I really do recommend that folks visit my website. There are a number of free resources on my website that I think are, um, some of them are incredibly valuable uh, in terms of adulting. And um, I also have an art journaling um, prompt that can be a lot of fun to work with. I think a lot about your folks who are currently caregiving for their person and probably both of those um, items. And then there's a you know, self-care tips for caregivers um, oh, that, is, awesome. that I, yeah, that I created that is just, um, it's just a good, it's, not, it, it's, it's a lot of uh, self-care that's not expensive. Cause you know, I think, I think people confuse self-care with like mani-pedis and that's mm. really, I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the mani-pedi, but it's yeah. not really, it's not really self-care I mean, it is self-care, but it's not what I'm talking about when we're in the caregiver situation and we can't even get away for a mani-pedi. So yeah. how do we do it then? Um, so yeah, the website is is pretty valuable, hospicedoctorswidow.com. And then, you know, I'm on um, Facebook as Jennifer A. O'Brien. I am on Instagram as hospice doctors widow. I'm on Twitter, although I am such a lame Twitter person. You're on but- Twitter too. Wow. You're doing yeah. it all. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. It's crazy. Well, but I love that you Instagram's have these- probably my, my, my okay. biggest. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes uh, for everyone. So it'll be easy to find and you can just scroll down and then click on it. It's hospice doctors, widow.com. And those resources sound amazing. So yeah, the, the other resource that's on there is that out. 
is called the, the at peace toolkit. And it will definitely help you have some of those scary conversations. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, and also everyone, if you do look it up, it's under Jennifer O'Brien. I keep calling her Jen. You can call me Jen. <laughs> it's under Jennifer O'Brien. So you can look, look the book up that way too. But Jen, thank you so, so much for everything that you're doing and for the awesome, beautiful person that you are and for the lives that you're changing um, with this book. It's really, it's a cool grief book. I'm just going to say it again for the 10th time today. (laughs) Everybody go check it out. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. It's, It's important work. Thank you. Well. I will keep in touch and we will talk soon and you have a wonderful rest of the day. You too, Jen. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Here are the takeaways from Jen. Number one, Jen and her husband, Bob, were married for five years. Bob passed away after a two-year battle with cancer. Number two, Bob was a hospice doctor, so the subject of death and dying were not uncommon between them. They had open conversations about their wishes before he was even diagnosed. Number three, Jen and Bob did a thorough preparation for his death so that when he did pass away, Jen would not be burdened with figuring everything out afterwards. Number four, Jen says there's a delicate balance between hope and prepare. The best advice she got and that she gives is, we hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Number five, Jen is a self-taught collage artist, and she started to put together a journal combining her art and her story of losing Bob mixed in with some of his wisdom from being a palliative care doctor. Number six, Bob would tell patients a phrase and say, you've gotten into precious time, meaning The end is definitely approaching. Say what you want to say to each other. Don't have any regrets. And I think this is such a good reminder to all of us to consider life as precious time and savor it. Number seven, Jen's book is called The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal. Two thirds of the book is an experience as a caregiver. And one third of the book is about grieving the loss of her husband. Number eight. Jen's book has won four awards, including a Nautilus. So go and check it out. You can see her book. You can purchase her book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow by Jennifer O'Brien on Amazon. Number nine, Jen highly recommends Camp Widow. She was a speaker at Camp Widow just this last month. Number 10, Jen gets messages from Bob all the time, including a tin sign over their coffee station at their house that keeps falling off the wall. You can reach Jen on her website. That's www.hospicedoctorswidow.com. You can also find her there on Instagram, Hospice Doctors Widow. On her website, she's got a lot of really good resources for everyone. You can go check that out. There's art journaling prompts. There's self-care tips for caregivers. And there's something called the At Peace Toolkit. So she's on Facebook as well as Jennifer A. O'Brien. But go ahead and, and check that out on her website. I'll put those links in the show notes today. And I just want to say that I I hope that this podcast is changing your outlook and building your confidence and helping you lean into a brighter future ahead. I recently started a Patreon page to allow donations from listeners in order to keep the podcast going. And for those of you who are not familiar with Patreon, it's basically a site where you can go sign up and make donations to artists, to podcasters, to YouTubers, to bloggers, to keep their content going each week. So basically, it's just a really simple website where you can sign up and make a small donation. There are different levels that you can do, the lowest being just $3 per month, and then the highest being the $33 per month. 
And that automatically gets you access into the Widow Connection community as well, where we meet once a week on Zoom for coaching. So you can make donations for as little as $3 a month. And then even that would be so greatly appreciated to be able to keep this podcast going, to bring these widow success stories to the women around the world that need to hear them. I want to thank you in advance for considering joining Patreon, understanding that this podcast is my passion project and my life's work that I put my heart and soul into this podcast each and every week and my ability to remain, um, I call myself a hope dealer to all widows is my goal. Helping widows across the world feel less alone is my passion. And if you have been moved or changed by the show or by the YouTube videos. Um, I would be so grateful and moved by your small donation each month just to cover the cost of running the podcast. So I want to thank you in advance. I'm so excited to have you in our Patreon partner community. And even if you can't make a donation, that's cool. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening and watching each and every week. It means so much to me. To make a donation, go to patreon.com forward slash widow 180. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash widow 180. And I'll put that link in the show notes today. Okay, guys, that's it for me. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.